What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of everything that's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my very good boy, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? You part of this family? <laughs> Let's go. You know, uh, I gotta say, that, that suggestion trailer for, for season three, unbelievable, man. I'm so hyped. No date yet, unfortunately, but exciting. There's a lot of shows that like feel like they're close because they've been filming right in succession season three. It's probably towards the top mm-hmm. alongside oh. like Barry and Marvel's Ms. Maisel, Atlanta. There's a lot of like stuff finally returning after the extended break due to COVID, which is cool. Yeah, um, we, we had a date for what we do in the shadows as well. That's coming back in September. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, for me. Uh, seeing both of these shows, success, Succession, I don't know why I can't say it today, and what we do in the shadows, and uh, announcing that they're going to be coming this fall, and I think you should leave season two dropping today. I'm uh, I'm over the moon, man. This is a great time for television, and we're actually going to be talking about one of the featured uh, actors from I Think You Should Leave, Sam Richardson, who is in The Tomorrow War, and we have that as well as Zola, No Sudden Move, G Herbo. And we're going to do a little check-in on the Crisp Wars. So if you want to hear all of this, hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to follow the podcast any other way you'd like to. But Dave, we just had, we have to talk about this album, the G Herbo follow-up to PTSD 25. I mean, well, where are you at with G Herbo going into this album? 25, or, uh, PTSD was a little underwhelming, I think you could say. Yeah, I liked PTSD, but we actually didn't review. It came out right before the pandemic began. But PTSD, I think, just kind of kept it going for G Herbo with a few like notable highlights, namely the title track, which features Juice World, Chance the Rapper, Lil Uzi Vert, and appears to be the biggest song of G Herbo's career. I have to imagine a lot of that's chalked up to the Juice World fans because it is probably one of the best Juice World posthumous features, I'd have to say. Um, but G Herbo's still doing his thing. And we checked in on him, I think, two years ago, his second tape with Southside. Got a lot of stuff out at this point, people know. And 25, 25, this, I believe this would make his third official album, fourth album. He's kind of marking, like, getting this far as someone mm-hmm. from the... Uh, I believe he's from the east side of Chicago. Uh, you know, having a tough life and finding himself quite uh, successful now. And he seems to have dipped his toes further into committing to promoting his career. So still like G Herbo always have, but I think we're still waiting for like a signature hit from him in, in, in the near term. Like we've had some like really important moments in his career, but lately he just kind of reminds me of like a solid rapper, you know, he's a solid Chicago artist, but he doesn't seem to inspire as much fervent fandom as say Polo G or Lil Durk are doing as far as Chicago goes. Yeah. You know, I, I think solid is the way to, to describe the way I see him. He, you know, especially listening to 25, I think there were some moments that I really liked. And then there were some, I was like, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily bad, but it's just not something that's really hitting for me. 
Um, and I felt like in listening to 25, it kind of came in spurts. Like the first couple of tracks I thought were really strong. And then it kind of hits this lull in the middle. I think it's like right around like you can't or no jail time. And it just kind of starts to feel a little samey and not as interesting. Maybe it's a little bit later than that. And then it kind of picks back up near the end. Like I thought a couple of tracks like loyalty uh, stood out to me. Um, Turning 25 also was a track that kind of caught my ear. So I felt like listening to this, like this isn't necessarily not good, but I would, I wouldn't say it was uh, an album that I'm probably going to be talking about a lot beyond today, but did anything stand out for you in particular? Yeah, I still had some moments and I, I can't really put my finger on, it, but I feel like G Herbo really is benefited by a good beat because for whatever reason, vocally, he, I mean, this is like that Midwest draw. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like sometimes he needs the beat to help. But uh, yeah, towards the end, I thought Statement stood out for some obvious reasons. Namely, it's uh, I Really Mean It beat from Dipset. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of like some of the lines on that because that's a really like introspective song. How the fuck we catch a case? We bought a school. I think a nice nod to both the good things happening in his life, buying a school, turning into a community center in Chicago, the bad things happening in his life, some uh, fraud, fraud charges levied against him quite recently I like that song i mean using that beat if you can successfully use a classic beat it always seems of to work course. out for you uh obviously uh also really liked um cold world and no jail time particularly no jail time i feel like that's that mm-hmm. storytelling that's a chicago drill darkness that uh people know by now um on two chains i thought this one was really funny to me because that hook i think is definitely like that samey kind of boring stuff like bitch i'm rich what rich as shit like okay we get it we get it but it has probably my favorite line on the whole album which i thought was hilarious god gave a dude a second chance call it taylor bennett that's amazing as a chicago uh chance the rapper reference i love it uh and i actually thought uh the song with gun and Killeroy was pretty good as well surprised how much i like those features you can't and then a T.O.P., just because 21 Savage, his features are uh, yeah. still hitting. Like, he, he's about as consistent as they come right now. It's awesome. Yeah, anytime Savage drops in, it's always welcome. And always just, you know, I, I perk up a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to die and cry no more back to back. I really like that to start off. And then, obviously, um, you get T.O.P. just two tracks later. I think that's probably my favorite stretch, that first four um i don't understand how you have a song called two chains and don't have two chains at least like do some ad libs for it i mean it's right there i don't know um (laughs) i guess like i was just left wondering about g herbo and you know chicago rap in general chance isn't really uh doing much right now haven't really heard from him since his first album came out (laughs) so who's like at the top musically like he's around but he's like not totally focused on being the rapper right right and so uh, who is like at the top of the chicago rap right now like, it's easily polo g right yeah. it's gotta be polo okay g. i guess after polo g like yeah i mean it's gotta be dirk based on popularity right voice of the heroes with baby mm-hmm. was really rapidly consumed he's a he's never been more popular despite having a damn near 10-year career at this point not the biggest dirk fan but he can't argue with you know, like he's getting big features. He's making lots of moments now, you know, featured on 
a Drake song and a Megan song in the last year, making his own album, collab album. Like he's definitely there. Um, so I, I definitely would think Apollo and Dirk first. And Herbo just kind of reminds me of you know someone who's like workman, like like Dreezy, right? Like they're not like yeah. stars per se, but they're in the major label system. They'll be paid attention to, but not just super popular at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because when we really started when we first started doing this podcast and talking about Chicago rap, you know, we t- we talked a lot about Vic Mensa talking mm-hmm. about Chance the Rapper, obviously, and yeah. it feels like there's sort of like a real changing of the guard there right now. And I mean, it's interesting. It's just if if Chance comes back and makes something, maybe he'll be able to regain that. Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those other like more jazzy people, they're they're still around, but they're not like stars per se. Right? Mick Jenkins, uh, Spino's not Chicago, but he's close. Uh, no name, who seems to be uh, perhaps even more well known for like her activism than her music. Yeah. At this point, just because he's not super active as a rapper. Um, yeah, Vic's a good one, and we we've talked a lot about Vic and how yeah. up and down he's been in his sound and his quality. You know, so. There's lots of Chicago artists that, that that's that's not a problem, you know. He's kind of like yeah. kind of pick what you like, like Saba, another one who we mm-hmm. like, right? But he's not like super popular, super well known at the end of the day. No name's a really good one. Uh, I had kind of forgotten about her, but I feel like every time she she drops something, it's always quality. Wish she yeah. did a little more. Yeah, I mean, last last thing she really did was the like brief like J Cole response yeah. diss, where she really kind of outclassed him. Yeah. Trying to think. So uh-huh. I'm like we're forgetting, like obviously putting aside the OGs like Kanye, Hinlupe, and Common. Um, yeah, I don't think we're really missing. No. I mean, Chief Keef's not in there at this point. Nah, Chief Keef oh, in um, Chicago? Yeah, yeah. Chief Keef, uh, Lil Reese, Fredo Santana's past. Like a lot of the early drill guys, including Keef, they don't seem to be they're not mainstream at all, no question. And Chief Keef still makes lots of music, but like it's not listened to by many people beyond his mm-hmm. big fans. You know, it's kind of weird. Um, Cupcake, right? I guess Cupcake is... Yeah, I, I, she's not even someone I would consider a Chicago rapper uh, at first glance, but I guess that is where she's from. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's someone else I'm thinking and I'm also trying to look through here. Yeah. I, like, I like Joey Perp, but he's, you know, like Saba, not super well-known. Another person right. in that chance orbit, which is quite vast. Uh, we, oh, we've talked about Vale in the past. Mm-hmm. He seems to have faded off a bit. I'm not a cowboy person, but he's still out there making more little melodic shit. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it. I mean, I mean Polo's there's talent. There's talent for sure. It, it, it's Polo. Polo's for sure at the top. Yeah. And great to see because I do really like him. Yeah, for sure. Also, I'm just looking through the, like a list here of rappers who are associated with Chicago. Uh, shout out to Twista. Oh, I guess Earl. Earl Sweatshirt too, right? Is he technically a Chicago rapper? Is he? I did not know, I know. that's where Earl was from. I, he's I definitely listed here, but I associate him technically with the West Coast because that's where Odd yeah. Future was based out of with Tyler. Um, yeah, I mean his rap and ash, some rap songs type sound, I guess, is closer to uh, the jazzy shit we've been talking about. I guess you could count it. Sure. I actually did not know Earl was from Chicago. That's funny. Yeah, interesting. I'm reading that Earl was born in Chicago, but his mom was a law professor at the University of California, L- L.A. So, okay. yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, remember when it was free Earl, it was because he was in Samoa, not because he was right. in Chicago. So exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I'm not putting him on the Chicago list. So, it, I mean, Polo G, Lil Dirk, those seem like the top two right now. We'll see if Chance ever puts anything else out that maybe gets him back to that status. But yeah. real change in the guard. Chance. Just, just, just make some music, man. Come on. <laughs> so, Dave, we're God gonna... will give you a second chance too. <laughs> we're gonna hop over to. Um, some movies now and i didn't make it to the theater this week but you did what did you see i saw zola the a24 film finally out after a rapturous reception at sundance 2020 before the pandemic and been excited to see it given the hype i was aware of at this point known i think just talked about it as like this is the taylor page breakup you know Taylor Page from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Eddie Huang's Boogie. But now this is her in a full leading role. Exciting. And she's very good in it. Very good in it. So very happy to see. I think we all know at this point Taylor Page is quite a talented actress that needs a lot of work. She seems to be getting hired with lots of stuff. So people know. And that's good. And... I think what's so funny about Zola is just the origins of this film. It's adapted from a famous Twitter thread from 2015, a 148, I believe, tweets long thread from a uh, woman who goes by Zola. That's her nickname. Uh, forgetting her last name is Moon, I forget. Uh, yeah, Zola. She did this whole long Twitter thread and it went viral. In 2015, it's a story about how she met a uh, fellow stripper while she was working at like a Hooters type restaurant and they just they kind of hit it off and they decided to take like a weekend trip down sat further south into like the Tampa, Florida area to just go to some clubs and make some money pole dancing and stuff. And then uh, hijinks ensue and it's like this crazy <laughs> whirlwind type weekend thing. So that and there's now a rolling there's a rolling stone article about zola about the story and like i think that the film is also crediting that that feature as well as the technical twitter thread itself right and the movie is largely a uh, adaptation of that story told in the tweets and uh, uh further uh embellished in in that story uh, on rolling stone and it's it's pretty crazy pretty wild but it's also a lot of fun you know it has the like some obvious comparisons to like hustlers, of course, namely that you're dealing with strippers. But I think like the energy of the story and like the vibes of the story are almost more similar to something like Spring Breakers mm, uh, from okay. Harmony So kind of like a combination of those. And Riley Keough plays the uh, stripper who hits it off with Zola, played by Teller Page. And they make that trip down to Florida. Also involved, we have Coleman Domingo, who is the one driving them down. We learn later that he's actually Riley Keough's uh, pimp because she's not just a stripper. She's also a prostitute. And there's like this whole big thing about whether they, they want to get Zola to uh, prostitute with them. Also along for the ride, you have uh, Riley Keough's cuckold boyfriend played by Nicholas Braun, a.k.a. Cousin Greg from Succession. Yeah, Greg the Egg. Perfect, perfectly cast once again. He really knows how to uh, 
kind of like be 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 his like doofy self. He does a good job, and yeah, like the movie just has like a really fun energy to it. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's also some like important like more like observational traits to it, namely uh, Rikio Stephanie character has this really thick performative black scent kind of like how like bad baby uh mm. the way she talks right obviously not sounding like a traditional white person and you can tell how zola reacts to this sort of thing and you know i think if there's a if there's a flaw with the movie it would be just fizzles out a little bit with the end but between like i actually think it has really effective narration really effective use of like Twitter sound effects when like important things happen. It's like, oh, here's another moment that will be tweeted. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there, there's a lot of cool things about it, and you know, some good montage work. Like, uh, it, it's fun. So yeah, Spring Breakers vibes. I think that's what I would just try and pitch it as. Uh, looking through um, Jansica Bravo's uh, film credits here, she's credited with the Juneteenth episode of Atlanta. Really interesting. Yeah, I believe she's one of the writers. And uh, it, I think it's really like interesting that this is, seems to be her first feature length. And I mean, the way you're talking about it, it seems like this might be someone to be keeping our eye on. It sounds like she has a nice way of integrating these like modern stories into really uh, palatable and, and fun ways. And even just the background shot you're using here, it looks like it has that like A24, like, almost like technicolor type touch to it. Uh, so I'm, I definitely want to check it out whenever I can probably see it outside of theaters. But um, yeah, so it sounds like a really great movie. Is this one of your like biggest surprises of the year, would you say? I wouldn't say surprises because I knew how like well-liked it was, but it mm. it's crowd-pleasing in a fun way. Like there's, It does a really good job of maintaining tension and humor the whole time. I think notable uh, in this is this movie was shot in I believe twenty like late twenty eighteen like it, it's it's quite old at this point, and featured in the role as a Floridian they meet would be Jason Mitchell, and Jason Mitchell of course has I think largely fallen out of favor in Hollywood because he was fired from the shy due to some misconduct and also had some legal issues separate from that so it might be the last Jason Mitchell role we see for a long time given yeah. what's going on with him but for what it's worth I, I did think he was well cast. Um. Yeah, I mean, check out uh, uh, the, the the Twitter thread. Check out some of it. It's like archived everywhere. It's easy to see. It's it's really funny. It's really good. And t- like I said, Taylor Page is probably the big takeaway here. But also, yeah, Janiska Bravo. You're not. It's a good point. It's actually her second feature film. Oh, uh, is it? Sorry, de- I missed that. Yeah, de- definitely talented. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, I also gotta say, um, Riley Keough. I like a lot of things she's in. I feel like she's her stock is rising in my book. So, um, I want to talk Presley about Presley DNA, man. <laughs> uh, I want to move on though to something we were able to watch in our homes, which is the Tomorrow War. And Dave, I gotta say, going into this movie, my expectations were extremely low. Um, not only have we had, I think, underwhelming Amazon Prime like big budget movies of late, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Tom Clancy film without remorse. Yes. Without remorse, uh, no remorse in that movie at all. So, and Chris Pratt, I think just in general, uh, been, you know, middling on, um, I think for some, you know, the Jurassic parks, uh, mm. 
theories and just yeah, not really uh, yeah not really loving owen grady as a character not finding him super interesting and you know he's playing star lord but it, when it comes to like the marvel universe i think star lord as a character is just not one that people are you know clamoring for more of all the time especially after his performance in endgame i mean they had thanos and he just fucked it up but i gotta say that was infinity war that infinity one, war yes, you're, you're right. right sorry um the tomorrow war really surprised me it's a lot of fun man i really enjoyed it how did you feel watching it yeah i had I had a general good time i think it's important to note that both without remorse and the tomorrow war were not strictly amazon productions but rather paramount productions that were later sold to netflix due to the pandemic both those movies were supposed to come out last year and Again, perplexing that Paramount just kind of takes the bag versus putting these original films on Paramount Plus to boost those subscriber numbers. Kind of a having your cake and eat it too moment, but really an example of a streaming service not going all in when they need to be going all in and spending money on themselves. Nevertheless, Amazon has been, you know, gobbling stuff up. Remember, they did the same thing with Coming to America. They, they were happy to get movies they could position as their own. And Tomorrow War in particular definitely feels like a bit of a relic. I believe it's co-produced by Skydance, which will probably explain this. But it's a non-franchise, big-budget blockbuster. At the end of the day, these are just exceedingly rare at this point. And looking at that budget figure, I think it's like $200 million or so. Odds are this probably wouldn't have been a financial success at the theater, unfortunately, given uh, in normal times, given the way non-IP films continue to perform unfortunately but still happy it exists at the end of the day like it's a weird meta thing to say like i almost don't care how good it was i'm just happy it was out there you know because it was Mm -hmm. different uh and yeah like it's excessively long oh yeah and has like a lot of like dumb components to it but there's some stuff i really enjoyed and thinking about chris pratt's recent non-franchise movies of late this is probably towards the top given that he doesn't have that much to pick from honestly absolutely um you know i we'll start with the movie then maybe we'll transition and talk about chris pratt a little bit more uh i do think some of it was a little kind of dumb at points but i gotta say i think the the premise of this was actually pretty interesting and i really feel like the first hour moved like the way that they went through all the exposition, the setup of, you know, the, you know, people coming from the future to get their, basically their parents to come fight this war in the future. Uh, Pretty interesting. Um, And to do it like during the soccer game, that was totally gripping to me. I liked the, uh, (laughs) them getting ready to prepare like the boot camp where they're basically just like, nothing we can teach you will actually help you in this, in the future. Like, good luck. (laughs) It's like, okay. Like they're kind of setting up. This is, kind of a suicide mission in a sense. Um, and then basically all the way up through his first time, you know, fighting the, the white, white spikes. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that all moved really well. So I was like, this first hour is great. I think the second hour is where things really start to slow down a lot. Um, how did you feel about that first, like beginning? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, again, it's a little long. Like, it takes almost 30 minutes to get to like the, the call to action, the the uh, people, you know, teleporting in to explain the conflict of the Tomorrow War. Um, but I was I was kind of impressed with how they handled the time travel of it all between 
Pratt and Sam Richardson in like a yeah. two minute span. They kind of explained how the time travel works, how the they avoid any kind of time paradox. It was like so quick, so coherent, and then they just move on because mm-hmm. it's not something that you benefit from when you really talk to death, it. you know. Right. So I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, like you get through, like they he comes back, right? He get, he gets he gets zapped back, and there's like a whole hour left of the movie almost. It's like it yeah. it, it was a little messy, but mm-hmm. I think th- there's some moments I liked definitely. Yeah, you know, I think probably the my least favorite part and the part that they really couldn't have, uh, had, you know, made this any more clear that this is going to be coming back at the end was when he's in, in the, the classroom, you know, and he's like, what do you guys want to talk about? Anything other than what Martin wants to talk about, those volcanoes. I was like, oh, so he's this kid's going to solve it in the second half. It's just like. It's so perfectly set up yeah. for that. You know, so along those lines, you have a two hour and twenty minute movie. I almost wish they like did the sleuth thing to determine where the white spikes were hiding. I wish that took longer than like ninety yeah. seconds. Like they found it so fucking quick. I thought we could have given more time than that. On they, one hand, I like how quick they explain the time travel in the beginning. But with this, it's like, oh well. Volcano Kid will figure it out. We'll point on the map. We'll we'll determine everything. Oh, and here comes J.K. Simmons. Bring him back in. He'll fly us there covertly. It's like it was just so clean, so quick, you know. Yeah, that fine. When they get to it's basically Siberia. I don't know exactly what the yeah, country was. That uh, that big, the big biggest glacier in Russia, whatever it's called. Yeah, and J.K. Simmons is like it's like looking for an ice cube out here, and then they fucking find it in like five minutes later. I'm like. Okay, I guess it wasn't like looking for an ice cube. It was like looking for yeah. How they find what? it? By the way, didn't they just kind of like keep driving the snowmobiles and then they just found a pit or something? Like yeah, there was no inciting like incident to find find them, right? They just yeah, kind of found them. That was yada yada a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, I uh, I think the second half of the movie probably is. I, I didn't really love the stuff between Chris Pratt and and Murray. Um, so I guess right. James and Murray or Dan and Murray. Um. Seeing his adult daughter, I think, like, that's very much like shoehorned in at times. I feel like, and not that it didn't necessarily like hit all the emotional notes, because I think it, there are certain moments between them, like when she dies and you know he like jumps after her right before he gets swished back, or um, you know when they're working on the the vaccine or the the poison together and she's kind of like recounting like i just wanted to like have you there and like this is what i wanted blah blah like that 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 stuff kind of works for me but a lot of the like will she let him in will she not it's like you have to understand that this isn't the dad that you had growing up this is the dad before that point so like why are you so mad at him you know like i was just i don't know there's a lot of feelings involved right and like that part of the it's part of the initial premise that's so interesting right it's like they have to go back in time to basically draft more soldiers but they only can use soldiers of a certain age for the sake of the time paradox therefore everyone who's coming back in time that we're meeting for the first time they haven't been born yet like it's it's all really cool yeah and yet meeting his adult daughter from the future isn't cool like Mm -hmm. it wasn't fun no and it should have been like 
and, and if it felt like Chris Pratt wanted it wanted it to be fun, and uh, Yvonne Strahovski was like, no, not not gonna let this be fun. Right. I, I thought she was still really good. I'm gonna say like I and I found her every time she was really like doing stuff on screen, whether it was action stuff or some of the science stuff or like explaining the world at that point. I thought she was really captivating, but just their their dynamic was a little off to me. Also, Betty Gilpin should have gotten more more play in this, dude. She's she's great. I always want to see Betty Gilpin getting bigger roles. Yeah, her pretty thankless wife slash mom in this one. Yep. Uh, how did what was your favorite set piece? I think there's a few like notable ones. There's the first time they jump into the future and they're like looking for the scientists and they escape and stuff. I think that one's really cool because a lot of tension, a lot of like uh fear of the unknown still before the white spikes just kind of become a mindless endless horde you know yeah there's that there's when they capture the the queen alien Mm -hmm. like underground those like little caverns and then there's i guess there's the the fight on the oil rig or like the the base the Mm -hmm. sea base right at the end with all the fire and then there's the final fight between jk uh chris pratt and the queen so those four big ones i feel like stand out yeah, you know, I I think the first one is my favorite. I just wish Same. they didn't do you know show it right before the beginning. They should have just started with the holiday party. I felt like go right into yeah. Chris Pratt and you know being depressed and then the soccer game. You didn't need to show me him falling into the pool. That part was what like sucked me in immediately, but like it would have sucked me in later too. It was still great. Right. Did not need that immediate rest. No question. No. Uh, but you agree that one was the best one for you. Yeah, definitely. Because honestly, I wasn't a big fan of the white spikes at the end of the day. When you have yeah. mindless, like not sentient antagonists, mm-hmm. you need a little more brains, right? Like Alien, obviously, very yeah. intelligent. Even even the later Alien sequels, there's still like an intelligence to how they operate, I guess, apart from like the AVP movies. Um, I just, I, I wanted like they're just kind of mindless and endless and they just keep coming and coming and it was just kind of almost defeatist nihilistic to see them as antagonists right I, the fight with the queen though was a lot of fun i really liked how how that went but yeah i mean they kind of faded away to me as they just became both cannon fodder but also just never ending you know yeah I thought maybe the last fight might have been my second favorite, only for the ridiculousness of, you know, JK and Chris Pratt. I mean, they literally do a setup where JK is shooting at the white spikes, and as he runs forward, Chris Pratt perfectly times it so that this white spike doesn't hear him, but somehow he hits this white spike with the snowmobile right on, like, the side of the head. And then he he literally kills it by punching it out. He, like, Mike Tyson's the fucking right. queen well he had oh, he had yeah. some peds with the uh the <laughs> the supers the serum the the poison right but i guess yeah I mean, he yeah. was he was uppercut in the queen it was it was crazy <laughs> yeah i think it, this movie also kind of highlights perhaps one of like the weaker qualities of pratt as the leading man he kind of always gets like strung into these like every man roles Mm-hmm. while also being like exceptional like he's an everyman but he's also like an, an intelligent uh person with dinosaurs in Jurassic World right he's not just mm-hmm. some dumbass in in Jurassic World movies so and in, in Tomorrow War he's actually supposed to be this really intelligent uh veteran like scientist guy right mm-hmm. but it's never really like 
expounded upon in the film. We're just kind of told it. And I don't know if Pratt has that kind of range to like make it believable. He only kind of has like those certain facial expressions we associate with him. Mm -hmm. But you're not really here for that anyway with this kind of movie. So I guess it's not the biggest deal. Yeah. It's really funny that he's just like a green beret and like a science wizard somehow. I guess maybe he's not. He's a biology teacher. I don't know if they ever say he's like a real science. You're a great candidate. The only thing you're missing is a blue collar experience. It's like, okay. no, I think they said private sector experience. Private sector. Wanted, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. They wanted him to be doing those like, uh, you know, for higher operations. Like, okay. <laughs> this guy's a fucking green beret. Like, what is he, what is he going to do that is really not going to be that great? Also, I just love that he, they, he also gets put in the same group as Sam Richardson, who's a, uh, you know, PhD and I think like earth science or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, by chance, but I, I found this movie really enjoyable. I would probably, I'd probably give it like a, a solid B because I, I mean, maybe my expectations going in kind of color that grade, but I really thought this was going to be absolute trash and it turned out mm-hmm. pretty good. And this was the most enjoyable I found Chris Pratt in a long, long time too. So right. I just want to also shout out one of the supporting characters, uh, Dorian. He was like the guy with the claw on him. He kept going back and back multiple tours, the tomorrow war yep. played by Edwin Hodge, who is the brother of Aldous Hodge. I did not know Aldous Hodge had a brother, oh. let alone a brother who acts. He was pretty good too. So, yeah. um, shout out to him, Dave, we, you, we've been talking about Chris Pratt. We've been going through, and I think it's time we just kind of check in with the Chris Wars, man, because uh, it's been it's been a little while. And, you know, for sevens, I think we've probably been talking about the most, especially as we've been checking in with things like Knives Out and Knives Out 2. You know, I think we kind of mentioned him there. But, I mean, I feel like we haven't really talked about the Chris's that much in general. So uh, Chris Pine for Wonder Woman 1984 yeah, as well. That's right. I forgot about that. But oh, wow, Pratt. I blocked that movie out of my memory. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, but Pratt, apart from Tomorrow War, which just came out, it really hadn't been anything more outside of Marvel in a while. Um, and same same for Hemsworth. I feel like the last time I talked about Hemsworth outside of Marvel was Men in Black International, which mm-hmm. wasn't super positive. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting point to check in with all of them because there, I think there's been a lot of progression and movement in the, uh, the standings of the Chris Wars, right? It's a fun fun thing to talk about even obviously it's quite arbitrary we're just talking about them because they're all named chris they're all handsome uh white men but you know i think 10 12 years ago they were coming up as leading men and largely auditioning for the same part so it does make sense a little bit to pit them against each other um i know some people on the internet like to throw chris messina in this war as well i think he's definitely um appear below yeah, he's definitely on like a different tour of duty, you know. Like we, I like Christmas Eve plenty, but these four, I think, are all all we got to talk about. They're the they're they're at the pinnacle, and it's really funny to reflect back on where we've been with the Chris Wars because I feel like perhaps all four of them have been at the top at one point or another. So it's always cool to check in. Well, when would you have thought Pine was? You know, like I'm trying to think when. Uh, I don't want to spoil the conversation. But I'm very high in Chris Pine. Right now. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around. I guess, who do you feel like is at the bottom right now? Because I think I have uh, someone I pretty clearly put at the bottom. Chris Pratt. Yeah. He's, he's number four 
for sure for me. And that was not always the case. Remember when Chris Pratt moves beyond Parks and Rec guy, but also moves beyond supporting character in movies like Moneyball and Zero Dark Thirty. The double whammy of Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World really catapulted Chris Pratt. And there was talk, you know, really just nothing substantiated, but there was talk, oh, he could be the new Indiana Jones. Maybe he'll be Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Like, there's just, everyone was putting Chris Pratt in everything. And several years removed from that time, you know, six, five, six years ago, it, it probably hasn't gone as well as I think people wanted. Not to mention there's been some controversy outside of his movie work. So yeah, he's kind of easily on, on my, on my, my bottom, my fourth. Chris Pratt. Just want to read off his 2014 into 2015, the Lego movie, right. guardians of the galaxy and Jurassic world. All those are all three back to back. And then he does the magnificent seven, which I think people like, but yeah, so it's more of know, a supporting turn. Yeah. And then passengers. And then it's all Marvel, pretty much Marvel and yeah. Jurassic World from there, and Lego World, obviously, or Lego movies. But he doesn't do anything else original until I guess he's voicing onward, and then the Tomorrow War. Right. So. I wanted to like Passengers so much, but that's a movie that has a really fatal flaw at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and I would chalk that up as a miss. And it's funny you think about all these guys; everyone kind of has a miss, right? Like Hemsworth, he has. In the Heart of the Sea, he has Men in Black International. He has a miss. Pine. Where's Pine's miss? Hemsworth kind of has a lot of them, too. Black Hat, the Michael Mann movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Bad Times at the El Royale, I liked, but that movie bombed. Um, yeah, he's he, he, he's interesting. But yeah, I think Pratt, Pratt pretty clearly is at the bottom, like especially like as like the sheen of his voice work in the Lego movie has gone off. Like, we'll get Jurassic world uh, dominion whatever the third one's called in 2022 mm-hmm. will be in thor uh love and thunder again not to mention guardians 3 but after that there's like nothing on his calendar which mm-hmm. would be surprising you'd have to think right i mean i feel like pratt should try to go back to tv for a little bit you know even if it's like a short series something on hbo maybe but Get a little something something going here because if you just keep doing these uh, franchise movies, I feel like that's how you stay at the bottom of the Chris Wars, which I'm sure he's very worried about. But, um, you know, I think the the hard part, too, is, you know, Thor Love and Thunder is basically becoming, you know, like Thor plus Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Everything that we understand. So it's it's a Hemsworth led film that's going to have Pratt pretty much in second fiddle, most likely. It's a, it's a tough look for uh for chris pratt all right so you have pratt number four who's number three for you dave it gets hard here this is hard and i feel like right uh, pratt's probably like the most popular pick for four i think in general he's like i said like he's probably just the least well liked as a celebrity at this current time anyway so he's pretty easily easy to put down there it's hard though for three because i'm trying to be objective and I think you got to say Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I, I had him there actually pretty easily. Um, and the reason I think I have him down there is while Thor is great, I think as we talk about Infinity War and Endgame, he's pretty clearly you know third behind Evans 
and Donnie Jr. in that pecking order, even though they all got that nice battle against Thanos, who is inevitable at the end of Endgame. But then you look here, Men in Black, wow, uh, really bad. I mean, maybe maybe decent amount of money, but not well regarded. Yeah. Extraction. I think we both felt like the action was pretty cool, but that really like a movie we want to go back to. We want to see more of. Eh, you could kind of cut and paste Hemsworth anyway. out of that for someone else competent in action, you know, as far as like a John Wick inspired approach to like visceral action mm-hmm. filmmaking. Hemsworth himself doesn't make the biggest impression, although give him credit for the stunts. And like you said, Men in Black International, as well as Ghostbusters 2016. I actually That's, think he's yeah. not bad in either of those movies. He has shown, I think, a pretty solid ability at comedy, which has obviously been highlighted in the later Thors, Thor, Thor iterations. But those movies were not uh, well-received nor successful. So I think I, m- I mentioned the other ones too, right? Black Hat, 12 Strong, uh, In the Heart of the Sea. These are all kind of flops. And on one hand, credit for doing, trying to get out all these other kinds of movies. A lot of these are original mm-hmm. films. But his like star power outside of Marvel has plainly not come to fruition. Yeah. And just looking here, I mean, what was the last movie he was in that we would say was really good? I mean, Bad Times at the El Royale had a lot of potential, but yeah, I don't it's think... okay. It's solid. But I mean, what's the last like really good movie he was in? Uh, I would have to go way back again, away from Thor Ragnarok. Everyone loves apart from that. I would have to say rush back in 2013 where he That's plays crazy. James, <laughs> James Hunt, the formula one driver. That's a Ron Howard movie that yeah. I think does rip in its own regard, but Oh, and I, you know, I guess critically you would say cabin in the woods as one of those like mm. surprise horror gems, but that's nine years old already. Crazy yeah. enough. Um, Yeah. That's tough. And, you know, I, one of the factors we also have in here is the, um, you know, celebrity of it all. And I think Chris Pratt as a celebrity in the last year has had some um, some people who are not so thrilled with some of his political stances. And he drew some ire for that. Hemsworth, I, I just haven't really even seen much at all uh, as yeah. a celebrity, you know, beyond obviously his like Instagram pictures and not skipping or always skipping like day, I should say. Um, otherwise, I. I don't. I feel like he's not really out there as a celebrity at the moment. Also tough to say after COVID. No one was really out there all that much. Right, right. Um, so then we're down to the top two. And it sounds like you have Pine at number one. I do. So, so maybe this is the time to make the case for Pine. Then we'll circle back to Evans. Right. Uh, and I think Pine, there, there's an argument against Pine. And that's because his franchise obligations have kind of ended but then again you could say the same for evans right in chris evans case he's bowed out of the captain america role as far as we know um some reporting that that might not be permanent of late but as of now chris evans is not captain america anymore chris pine is no longer james t kirk from star trek anymore but that's not really his doing so much as it's uh what paramount inability slash unwillingness to continue making that franchise and the last we knew of that star trek 4 when it was still being talked about one point sj clarkson directing it one point noah hawley directing it 
they were thinking of bringing back Chris Hemsworth's character as George Kirk, his father, which, which would have been kind of a weird time like loop thing, because of course Hemsworth is in the very first of these Star Trek movies and dies in the first scene. So that would have been something, right? But like due to like financial reasons, contract squabbles, Star Trek continuation of that franchise that began with J.J. Abrams is, is done. And now Pine doesn't have uh, a franchise, right? Because we'd have to imagine his Wonder Woman obligations cannot sure. continue into Wonder Woman 3. It was a bit of a walk to even have him in Wonder Woman yeah. 1984. Still liked him in Wonder Woman 1984. Pine himself was good, even if like the Steve Trevor of it all was kind of uh, strange. Problematic. You know? And also morally questionable. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, you know that that that's a really good point. And I'm looking here, and I'm thinking, what are what are like the standouts here? And the first one that really stands out to me, obviously, is Hell or High Water from 2016. That's the gem, right? Yes. But then that you is look, a Best Picture nominated movie. None of these other guys have been in one of those, let alone the lead of one. But then even looking forward from that, I mean, we have. Uh, Color High Water, then we have uh, Outlaw King, which we both really liked. I love and Outlaw King. <laughs> I think he's great in that, too. So I'm As Robert the him. Bruce, of course, a Braveheart historical prequel, basically. And then the next movie or after sequel, that sorry. is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where he played the Peter Parker who dies. I mean, right. I, these are three great movies in like a four-year stretch. And then you're including Wonder Woman in that, obviously. He's great in that. Uh, so then I, I guess I'm thinking, because I'm thinking with Evans. He's been in a couple of really good movies too recently. At least, well, Knives Out. It's really only been Knives Out because he also did uh, Defending Jacob, that Apple yep. TV Plus series. That's great. Um, and Knives Out, I think, is an important thing for Evans because it's him doing a different speed than Steve Rogers and he had been so busy as Steve Rogers that he was not doing much acting since the Marvel machine really picked back up you look at that that list of credits there's really nothing there until you go back to like Snowpiercer which of course everyone loves as a Bong Joon-ho movie but it's been a while for Evans but he seems to be making up for lost time with a great turn in Knives Out and then we have uh, supporting or role ensemble role in the Adam McKay movie Don't Look Up. He'll be the voice of Buzz Lightyear in the Pixar film Lightyear, the prequel coming out next year. Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the leads alongside Ryan Gosling in The Gray Man, which is the Russo brothers' uh, upcoming uh, action thriller film, their first movie since Endgame. So Pretty Evans good. is getting busy, thankfully, but we ha- we've only s- just started to really see it manifest. Yeah, and so as I'm looking here, there's, uh, I'm thinking about Knives Out, and that really calls back to an early part of his career with, I guess, not that early because he's been working for a long time, but mid mid part of his career, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, right? That's and right. I feel like that got a lot of attention this past year because of the 10 year anniversary and just getting a lot of love. And I think for me, just also as a celebrity, Chris Evans just stands out as someone that. I see out there more. I think I he has more star power than Pine. So for me, I think he he's does. still number one. But you made a really good argument for Pine. Uh, I think this is close at the top. I'd also like to note that Pine has another uh, uh, supporting role coming up in Don't Worry, Darling. That's uh, 
upcoming Olivia Wilde film starring Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. Uh, and he's also apparently, I, I didn't really know this, he's the lead of the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons film from Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Taylor, which has been a long gestating project, but that is a talented uh, directing duo to have in it. So that's cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe there's some other smaller movies that Pine as well as Hemsworth are involved in that are coming up. But yeah, I think you're, what you said is right because... Evans is, I think, clearly at the top as a celebrity. Yeah. I think it's really more about your, I think, your taste. And if, if I think if we're looking forward, it's easier to argue for Pine. I, I got to say, I think the thing that stands out as we're talking about this is Pine and Evans have that ability to play that dick, play that villain. You know, you think about Pine in something like Horrible Bosses, and he's just mm-hmm. so, like, despicable, but also this kind means of fun in more, that. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Pratt and Hemsworth are a little more goofy. You know, they kind of tend to lean more towards the, the, the comedy. And I think that doesn't work as, as well when you're looking for the quality of movies that they're putting out. So, um, yeah, this is, this is a fun conversation, though. It's a good thing to check in with. Maybe after we get some of these uh, movies coming up in the next year or so, we'll, we'll double back and see where we're at. But um, Evans and Pine at the top, Hemsworth and Pratt stock down. But you know whose stock is definitely up, Dave? Steven Soderbergh. Because No Sudden Move dropped on HBO this past weekend. This is my movie of the year so far. This movie fucking rocked. I loved it. Um, This feels like Soderbergh kind of getting the reins back. Um, You know, uh, we've been talking about him a lot. Uh, I feel like, you know, out of everybody that we usually, you know, in the past year, we haven't been talking about a lot of people. We've been talking about Steven Soderbergh consistently because this guy just keeps making films. I mean, what was the one earlier in this year with the old women? I'm Let them all mind. talk. Yes. At the end of 2020. That would be Soderbergh's first movie for HBO Max. He signed a three-year deal at the beginning of 2020 to make films for them. And given how quickly he makes films, probably good bang for your buck from Warner Brothers and, and, and Friends because... His third film on that deal, Kimmy, starring Zoe Kravitz, is already in production. So he'll probably get a fourth movie out before the deal expires. And I'm sure he'll move on after that because that's who Steven Soderbergh is. He likes to dabble in mediums and distribution and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And it's just fun to to be a fan and watch it in his movies. This is his like he's 33rd, I believe, feature film, but also notably his sixth heist movie after the Oceans trilogy, Out of Sight, and Logan Lucky. So this is almost like going back to the hits in a certain sense for Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. I mean, since we've been doing the pod, it's been Logan Lucky, uh, Unsane, which I don't think either of us have seen. We didn't, right. High Flying Bird, The Laundromat, Let Them All Talk, which we have reviews on. Check those out. As you mentioned, No Sun Move and Kimmy, we will be talking about when it comes out. But we, he also has made a lot of television. Um, the Nick uh, comes to mind. Mosaic. Um, and, and isn't there a second season of The Nick that's on the way eventually, I think? Uh, there's two seasons out already. The third season okay. third is season's coming. coming. Yeah. yeah Mosaic. A Cinemax show that you can now watch on HBO Max. Uh, then uh, Mosaic, I think, was a show we talked about. And we're, I think we got like an episode in. We're like, this is a little too uh, experimental yeah. for us, necessarily. Right. You're, but, but when you take that many swings, it's okay to miss once in a while. For sure. And um, I, I would say No Sudden Move is absolutely 
uh, a hit for Soderbergh because um, we were excited about it. We talked about it on our most anticipated movies of the year. And I think not only are the performances great in this, but uh, the way Soderbergh weaves this story together and the the way it all kind of comes to a head in, at the end uh, found it super satisfying. How What was your experience overall just watching No Sudden Move? Yeah, so obviously going in knowing it's Soderbergh, but also knowing it has a crazy stacked cast. I, that, that's all I needed to go in. I actually never watched the trailer. You know, a lot of people made a lot of noise about the trailer. But you know what? I'm like, I'm good. It's coming early July. Mm-hmm. I can wait. Let me go yep. fresh. And on one hand, I would love to see this in the theater, given how yeah. intentional a lot of the filmmaking is. We're set in 1950s Detroit. There's a, you know, kind of like... Eh, eh, amorphic uh fishbowl lens at times the angles we're seeing not to mention the production design so looks awesome and this was Mm -hmm. shot uh during the pandemic but to me i didn't really notice i thought production uh design wise it was still quite top notch uh and yeah as a heist movie i think the, the key uh sign that it's successful is that it's so riveting and so fun to watch the whole time that you don't even need to know what the fuck's going on. Like, it doesn't hold your hand in the beginning. You don't know who is who, who they're talking about. There are character names referenced liberally throughout the act one. And you don't know who the fuck these people are. But you're yep. just riding. And it, 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 it's going. And it has a lot of, you know, like seeing everything get pieced together by the end. Like a lot of heist movies, a lot of thriller movies go about. It's really satisfying. And when the cast is, I think, 100% operating at this high a level. Yeah. You can forgive like narrative confusion. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I didn't even find it super confusing. Like I, I think you can still follow along and kind of understand like, yeah, okay, can. there's things that are going to be filled in, but I kind of know where this is moving or know why they're doing these certain things in certain moments. Um, I think the, the best sign for me was, uh, we, you know, I got about like, I don't know, three fourths of the way through the movie. And I realized that the only time I had really checked my phone was to look up something that had been talked about in the movie, you know, and that was to, I think, just look up the, the redlining practices and the, and the neighborhood that was referenced that was uh, being, um, you know, kind of taken down and and built up for condominiums and apartments instead of the vibrant neighborhood. It was Um, in the black neighborhood there, I should say. Um, I think, this movie probably is like up there with some of my favorite Soderbergh because it has all of his trappings, but it's, it kind of operates on a level that um, I just found it to be really, really well pieced together. And every character that comes in kind of gets their moment and then it kind of moves on to the next character, whatever they're doing. So I think about like Kieran Culkin, for example, He's in the movie for like 20 minutes. He fucking steals those 20 minutes he's in. Like everything he's doing, I'm like, oh, th- this is exactly why he's great in succession. He just has this this energy that he's bringing. And then he's out. And then you, the movie kind of totally flips and you're on to like the next thing, like David Harbour having to go and get the thing out of the safe. You see, you know, Don Cheadle reacting to Kieran Culkin being killed and uh, or him killing Kieran Culkin and then like reacting to it all and like that coolness of it, of that character it's just like everybody kind of gets that night that moment and it all the seams don't show at all it's really really well done i don't know if i necessarily found all the 
the filmatic flourishes like when he would go to like the fishbowl lens i'm not sure if there was more meaning to that or it's just him kind of trying out something stylistically and seeing how it worked or how it looked um but i found i found it all to be really enjoyable um i don't know i i really can't say enough good things about this movie um i don't want to spoil too much because i don't know how many people have seen it i think it's probably hard to know but it's it's available so if you've yeah. you gotten this far i'd just say tune off and maybe we can go into some of the finer details of it yeah um i think especially i wanted to talk about the surprise of matt damon showing up at the ends so was it a you... surprise for you it was a surprise for me uh, see i knew he was coming? i knew he was in a cameo role oh yeah so i knew it was coming um and i kind of had a feeling when like the, the two the two people uh the two like gangster not gangsters but like big, big names you keep hearing about are Aldrich. um ray Liotta's character frank capelli and bill dukes aldrich watkins like the two mm-hmm. gangsters uh the white guy and the black guy and then you also hear about like the buyer uh which is mr big mike lowen and that's that and i kind of got an inkling that that might be where matt damon's gonna pop up because yep I had all, uh, kind of was already familiar with the cast, so I'm like, hmm, we've gotten just about everybody else. Wonder where Matt Damon fits in, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, great, great scene, you know. That's Damon at, at at his most Damon, you know. Incredibly yep. charismatic, incredibly talky, you know. Um, and of course, he's a Soderbergh vet from from the Ocean's mm-hmm. movies, just like Don Cheadle, and Del Toro's a Soderbergh vet as well. So uh, I love love the scene with Damon. It was awesome. Yeah, not not only that scene, but the scene when John Hamm brings him the money at the end. Hilarious. Uh, you know, I wish I could uh, cut you in, but uh, here, take any liquor you want over here. It's a $80, $80 retail. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love the best when Hamm is like, oh, I, it's actually uh, 406000 Must have miscounted. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. But, you know, kind of like the... like. It, it's it's out it's like open and out there, but not like the main crux of the storytelling. But the the redlining practice happening oh. in 1950s Detroit, a terrible part of the history of many cities in the U.S. That's very present in the film, as well as something that isn't really fully explained till the end. Uh, you you realize that the these documents and stuff are related to you know car companies and stuff we are in detroit in the 50s motor city after all but then you realize that it's related to a conspiracy by the american car manufacturers to delay uh environmentally uh protecting protective technology namely the catalytic converter which of course i think everyone with a car is familiar with at this point and just having that be be what it's about i was like wow you know didn't expect that yeah and to kind of tie this thing in that I just wanted to go and read more about. And I think not only to have something that small, like when, when Damon said like catalytic converters will never be able to fit underneath the, the hood of a car, blah, blah, blah. And like, there's no way of all this stuff. And then um, to go and like read about how horrible it is and have Matt Damon just kind of symbolize this overall sliminess of, these big corporations these ceos like embody that so well and have all the like social commentary kind of interacting with all these people especially the way that Cheadle's uh character kurt kind of ends up 
where you know Aldrich takes him out to Kansas City and he's like, you know, we have this much money. How how much do you think is fair? And he's like, I just want my five thousand. And like that's it. And he's like, okay, enjoy KC. Like I just thought that was like such a perfect ending for that character. You know, just someone who's like constantly running a gambit, constantly running a game, but like follows like these rules to it and has like this like almost uh, unspoken way of living i just thought was really really well done i thought del toro's ending was great too you know julia fox getting that last laugh on him and then she gets just the bag stolen from her by the minions of the big government all this Mm -hmm. big metaphors i think it's just really really wonderful so really impressed the whole thing what'd you think of uh brendan frazier our guy happy to see him in a film you know i believe the comeback happened a few years ago when he was the lead of uh trust the uh getty kidnapping fx series and you know he had some me too stories of his own uh you know from as as a victim but yeah just happy to see him back right because he was someone who was a a plus list leading man in the 2000s and that had stopped so just to see him as anything i think he was really good and good in this role right where like he's playing alongside leota at that dinner table and like Leota's like really like comic collected, and then uh, uh, Frazier's Doug Jones is just like and sloppy. Like he's just like so fucking pissed at Del Toro and Don Cheadle. He was he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I thought he was great there, but I really loved him in the beginning when he's yeah. kind of like getting the team together, and he's the just handler, like, basically. yeah, I I just thought that was such a perfect role for him to kind of just get to walk around and be like smarmy but charming and, and a little gross at all at the same time um i really enjoyed him i, I really liked ray, uh, ray leota's character um I, not necessarily being that character but leota just played it so well just happy to see another soderbergh movie really excited for kimmy coming up on hbo max with zoe kravitz is soderbergh man he he knows what he's doing i was really excited to see this film and delivered so no sudden move love it and next week, we have just a few things coming up, but notable stuff. Marvel's uh, film return at last, Black Widow, both in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. We have I Think We Should Leave out now on Netflix and debut of HBO's The White Lotus. And also a new album from Vince Staples, one of the best rappers in the game. So see you next week. YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Peace. Yeah.